Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Realty Speak, the podcast where experts share valuable insights, answer questions, and tell some real-world stories that'll get you thinking about how you can tweak your real estate investment strategy to build up revenue, realize higher returns, and retain more profit when you sell. I am your host, Bill Widener, and I think there is a trend forming at Realty Speak. If you recall, the last episode, episode 41, was a podcast version of a previously recorded live virtual discussion with the New York Real Estate Journal. Well, this episode is also a live virtual discussion recorded on Friday, March 18th with the New York Association of Realty Managers, aka NYARM or NIARM. Margie Russell, Executive Director, and I welcome our guest, professional engineer Mark Carell. Margie and I, along with audience members of the live open Zoom event, Grill Mark on Local Law 87, Energy Audit and Retro Commissioning, and some of its related laws, and he doesn't flinch a bit. Want to reach Mark or Margie after listening? Just go to the show notes for all their contact information. And like the last time, the audio from the event is edited to fit the podcast format. Without further ado, here we go. It's showtime. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Margie Russell, the Executive Director of NIARM, the New York Association of Realty Managers. NIARM has been around for 64 years. It was born of the Mitchell Lama program when buildings first came online that were thousands and thousands of apartments in their complex. Prior to that, the majority of the people who managed buildings were the extended family of the families that owned those apartment buildings. So here we had a multitude of people who were now managing apartment buildings larger than you know we've ever seen. And so a group of property managers of Michelama Buildings uh, 64 years ago came together and created the New York Association of Realty Managers to serve the continuing education needs and the professional needs of that group. Since then, they've expanded to apartment buildings, multifamily buildings, and mixed-use buildings. I've been the executive director for the last 20 years. Prior to that, for 20 years, I, I managed and opened new condominiums in Manhattan, uh, converting cooperative buildings in Manhattan. I also created the majority of the property managers coursework at 32BJ, which I encourage everybody to get anyone that they know that is in 32BJ onto their program. So why are we here today? We are here today to talk about a couple of different things, but they all have to do with climate change. I'm Bill Widener. I am the host of Realty Speak, the podcast, and I also have a business called Keep My Gas. It's a gas. It's about local law 152, periodic inspection of gas piping systems. And if you want to know more about that, ll152.com. But that's actually what we're not here uh, to talk about. What we're here to talk about is... Uh, local law, 87. 87, right. And, and you know what? That is kind of testament to the confusion of this, right? Because there's so many. 117, 95, 93, 147, 33, 84, 97, and then very recently, 101. But we're here to talk about only local law 87, which is the thing that's front and center at this point. Mark, tell uh, the studio audience and the listeners a little bit about yourself. Just first, I want to start off with some thank yous. I want to thank Margie and Anya of NY Arm for inviting me, and Bill, of course, you as well. It's great to work with you again. And I'm looking out, and I see a couple of familiar faces, so it's that's good. And a few people I don't know, and I hope to get to know you all. 
But uh, my name is Mark Carell. As you see, I have next to me PE. I'm a licensed professional engineer. As I like to joke around, I'm an engineer, but I'm not the kind that drives the subway trains or the Long Island Railroad or anything like that. I'm the other kind of engineer. I'm a technical problem solver. And most of the work I do is in the energy area. I also do a little bit of environmental work, but mostly in the energy area. And, uh, and I have sort of evolved into being a local 87 expert. Uh, and we'll talk about this in more detail. Local 87 is composed of an energy audit and retro commissioning, and I'm certified to do both under Local Law 87. I've been doing this, some form of work like this, for about 25, 30 years now. Uh, Local 87 wasn't around all that time. We're here to talk about Local 87 and certainly all the pieces answer your questions, and hopefully uh, I'll do so. Marge, back to you. How this particular program came to be is that as of January 1st, 2022, Local Law 87 had a rule change that became effective. And so the rule change that became effective is that the dozens and hundreds of of people in our industry that have been providing reports uh, as it related to the energy laws, providing reports to New York City, required a certain stamp of approval. As of January 1st, 2022, that stamp of approval changed, and it said that for certain performance reports had to be submitted and approved, rubber-stamped by a professional engineer or a registered architect. My question was, is well, what does that mean for all the people that have been doing this before? So there was some confusion. So, for example, Local Law 84, the benchmarking reports do not have to be done by a professional engineer or an architect. Many CPA firms are doing it because it is heavy accounting and administrative. So therefore, Local Law 84 is not affected by this from the standpoint of who can supply the city with your benchmarking reports and and approve them. I'll give you an extreme example. Uh, Local Law 33 that says, that the uh, letter grade has to be posted on your building. Well, there's an activity there. Uh, someone has to post it. Of course, certainly the superintendent, he can post it. So 33 is not affected by this. And so uh, the those areas that are affected by this, which Mark will go into detail, are those areas that take an engineering or an architectural level of, of qualification and education to do. No different than when you need an architect or an engineer for anything else in your buildings. They have a staff, often. They're doing the preparation work, the preparation of the documents, and then it's approved by the architect and the engineer. So it's falling under that mindset. So we're going to let Mark explain what 87 requires originally. It's one thing to say, well, the rule changed. But let's hear a little bit about what it is, and then let's hear about the rule change as well. But I also want to make a sharp mention on the benchmarking reports. Everything ends up with the benchmarking reports. It backs into it. The benchmarking reports are an average. They become, they take an average of the rest of the country, and that's where your letter grade comes from. So the benchmarking reports are extremely important. The benchmarking reports are also what will back into the fines that are required by Local Law 97. Although 
what you do with your building to become in compliance with all the requirements of carbon footprint reduction will be determined by the studies that are required under 87. So with that, Mark, I'm turning it back to you so you can take it away. Yeah, but I'm going to interrupt and get and get in there because I'm listening to what you're saying, Margie, and it's just complicated for everybody. It's complicated for me. I mean, I consider myself someone that can pretty much understand anything that has to do with compliance, but this still evades my understanding. And so as a result of what you just said and what I know Mark knows from talking to him before, maybe we could start, Mark, with what should have they done already? What do they have to do right now? And then talk about the major change, you know, with the uh, uh, PEs and the registered architects and what the two portions of Local Law 87 are, which is uh, uh, retro commissioning and auditing. There you go, Mark. There you go. Thanks, Bill. I'm going to answer both your questions essentially simultaneously in terms of uh, the change in Local Law 87. Uh, Local Law 87 up until now encouraged a licensed professional engineer or a registered architect to stamp the application, but did not require it. One can bring in a team that has a CEM, that means Certified Energy Manager, or a CEA, Certified Energy Auditor, to do the auditing part portion of Local 87, and can bring in a certified retro commissioning professional to do the retro commissioning part, and that was sufficient, having a team like that. And in fact, a number of companies had teams like that without the PE, without the RA, without the engineer or architect, and has done them. But apparently there's been some pressure from the professional community, from the engineering and architectural community, basically saying to the building department, gee, we have very complicated uh, information here, and it may not be done uh, properly, it may not be computed properly or understood properly, and therefore it is important to have that stamp from the architect who will have that professional professionality behind it or stamp from a licensed professional engineer and have that licensing uh, behind them. So that's where they made the change. So my question is, is with that change, all this stuff that you just said, is that now have to be a professional engineer or a registered architect, or can some of it still be the people from before, and then the rest of it has to be with a PE or an RA? My understanding is you can continue to have that team of the CEM or CEA and the retro commissioning professional, but it ultimately has to be stamped by an architect or engineer, which means that architect and engineer has to be involved in addition to the existing team. So that's important to understand if you're bringing in a company to do your local 87 compliance, you should get to know who is going to be that PE or that RA who's going to stamp the actual application that gets submitted and make sure that they have someone on the team. So would this be like an interior designer draws up plans and has an architect of record? And is somewhat obviously involved in the project, right? Is this, is that, so they're kind of putting their stamp on it, right? But it's really someone else that designed it. Is that kind of a similar situation? Yeah, that's my understanding of this rule change. It's going to work that way. Okay. So that means, of course, that engineer, that architect has to spend, they're not going to stamp it unless they have a full understanding of the building and the energy usage and the, and the calculations. Just like an architect is not going to be the architect of record mm -hmm. for a plan to say, 
build a building or renovate an apartment or, a, or an office space unless they're familiar with the project. Absolutely. So it does add a, li- a little bit of layer of time and effort and, of course, money to get this done. Well, you know what? You you said the word money, and I'm sure everyone's thinking about that. So <laughs> talk about the time, talk about the effort. But what what I'm what I'm hearing is that if anybody had any of this stuff done already by this team, so to speak, and they submitted it prior, are they good to go? I believe they're good to go. I don't believe this is retroactive. It's it's goes into effect this year. As of January 1st, now you have to have this extra layer of oversight. If you submitted something on December 31st, 2021, that did not have an RA or a PE stamp, you don't have to go and find one and, and have it stamped, re- reviewed and stamped and submitted. Okay. Billy, I want to add your question on, are they good to go with the previous reports? So I, I certainly agree with Mark. What would be questioned is the engineer or architect who is now taking it over, do they want to build their information on someone else's information? So I would say, you know, that would be, so be wary of who you select to find out, are do, are they going to want to audit all the previous information before they go forward with it? So that's an unknown to the level that an engineering or an architectural firm will take on the reports and build from it. So that's an interesting point, Margie. Thank you for bringing that up. And and Mark, okay, so just use yourself as an example, right? Someone had their team come in and do this. They didn't submit it. Now January 1st of 2022 comes and goes, and they call you up and they say, hey, we want you to be the P that's going to sign off on this. What are you going to do at that point as a professional engineer? Well, actually, I actually had that example happen last year. A firm contacted me uh, knowing that this change was going to happen and said, you know what, we're going to uh, bring in a PE, namely me, to review and stamp two applications for Local 87 last year that occurred in, in December, uh, this past December. And so I ended up doing a single site visit, looked at the equipment. They, sh- they, of course, had done all the work already. They shared with me all their pictures. Again, I did an in-person site visit just to verify. I looked at some of the measurements, looked at the data, looked at the energy usage, oversaw most of their calculation, they did not look at every single one, but but certainly a majority to un- make sure that at least uh, their procedures were correct, that they were doing it the proper way. And that's really what the engineering standards are. Is, are you doing something the proper way? And so with all that put together, I uh, put my PE stamp on both of those applications. So Local Law 87, as we said, is the retro commissioning and the auditing. So this part we've just talked about, is that the auditing? Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. Exactly. And, and, you know, the retro commissioning also has to do with, with calculations and observations. So it was just a matter of me concurring. To their, and, in fact, I did have comments. There were some things I did disagree with. And they, you know, we talked it through and addressed them. And they did make a few changes based on, on my comments. And with that, I, I put my piece stamp on, on both. So what else would you want to add with regard to the auditing part before we start to define retro commissioning? Let's take a step back before. If you remember, Local 87 means this energy audit retro commissioning has to be done once every 10 years. So the first question you have to ask is, are you subject to it and what year uh, are you subject to it? Uh, we are actually in the 10th year of the 10-year cycle. This has to be done once every 10 years. So really, most buildings in New York, applicable buildings, have already done it. I've actually come across buildings whose ownership has flipped over the last 10 years, and they didn't even realize they had done a Local 87. 
So it's just a matter of finding records. First thing you need to do is determine what is your year that you have to do it. And the year is based on the last number of the block number. Look at the last number of the block number the building is on. That's the year. So if it ends in two, if the block number ends in, in a two, it's due this year. The law went to effect 2013, so it would be due this year for the first time. If the block number ends in six, let's say, it would have been due in 2016. You don't have to do it this year. If it's three, then it's due next year. If it's one, then you missed the boat. It was due this past December 31st, and uh, you probably would have gotten a fine if nothing was submitted. So that's the first thing to do is determine, is Local 87 applicable? Are you 50,000 square feet? Those various things that are in there. Uh, there's a couple of exceptions for Local 87, very few. And then if you're subject, what is the year that it's due? So again, it's based on the last number of the block number. So I'm a little confused. Obviously, the last number of the block number, the tax block number, it could be one through nine? Zero through nine. Oh, zero through nine. Okay. So it could be zero, right? So zero through nine. So if it's, so if it's zero, that means you were supposed to do it the first year? 2020. You're supposed to do it, have done it by December 31st, 2020. What, why? What, what's the correlation between the zero and 2020? That's the part I don't because understand. Because 2020 ends in zero. Oh, your block number ends in zero. okay. So again, so, if the block number ends in two, it's due this year, 2022. So what? So what? The first year was 2013. Happened to be 2013. So anybody with a block number ending in three and 50,000 square feet size and greater, et cetera, et cetera, would have to submit that year in 2013. Right. And right. Now again in 2023, which will be next year. Right. Right. So, uh, so if it's zero, then it would have been 2020. Right. If it's one, and, it would have been 2021, and if it's two, it's 2022. Exactly. And by the way, the reasoning the reasoning for it, if this makes any sense, is there are apparently 13,000 buildings, you know, more or less, that are subject to Local 87. 50,000 square feet or bigger and, and some of the other things. And they didn't want 13,000 applications coming in at once. And apparently, the last number of one's block number is fairly random. So therefore, it would be 1,300 reports coming in every year. And that was sort of manageable. So that was the thinking when they came up with this, or lack of thinking. Is there any is there any uh, data on how many reports have come in up to this point, which I guess is the last year of the 10-year cycle? Uh, I don't have any data per se. I've had conversations with the DOB, and there is a fairly, I, I would say about 20% noncompliance. 20% of subject facilities don't submit, whether it's because they didn't know or they didn't get their act together, uh, some combination of that, or maybe they just said, oh, you know what, I'm going to take the fine. It's probably some combination of all that. But I'm, I was told by someone at DOB it's about 80% compliance. So so let's say you were supposed to do it in uh, 2018 because the last number of your block number was eight. See, I got it. I finally got it. Yeah. And, uh, and let's, okay, so let's say you're supposed to do it in 2018. You haven't done it because you didn't know. Which is possible, mm -hmm. right? Because sure. there's so many of these. I mean, you know, there's 10 local laws on this, right? The, don't count all the rest of them. Uh, Correct. You might not have known. And or right. the building changed hands and you don't know, right? You bought it in Correct. 2019. You, you don't know what had to happen, happen in uh, 2018. Can you do it now and still be compliant? You won't be compliant. What will happen is 
sometime in January, after that due date of December 31st, 2018, that next January, you will have gotten a fine, an automated fine from the Department of Buildings. You'll come electronically to the owner, the listed owner of the building, $3,000 for being late. If you do the report in 2019, then you won't get any other more fines. It's $3,000 for the first year and then $5,000 per year for the second year on that you don't submit a report. So three plus five? Correct. 3000 the first year, 5000 the second year, 5000 the year after that, 5000 etc. All right. So if you're supposed to do it in 18, you got a $3,000 fine in 19, five in 20, five in 2021. 20, so if I'm doing my math right, that's 13. And as of this year, as of January 1st, you now owe $18,000. Correct. Yeah. Can you can you uh, go to uh, I don't I don't know if this is the appropriate department, but uh, the, can you do an oath hearing? I have no idea. Oh, that's okay. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer. That's a right. But I guess that's something people want to investigate if they haven't done it yet. Right. Mm-hmm. If it hasn't been done yet, you probably should know because you got a fine. Exactly. And you continue to get cumulative fines, mm-hmm. and as a result, you should go ahead and get it done. So that you can be in compliance for the next 10-year cycle. One way to avoid the fine or maybe minimize the fine is to ask for an extension. Initially, when Local 87 was promulgated, the DOB was very strict about it. They gave very few extensions. Uh, I was successful with one client because we were able to get a back order on something they had to do for the retro commissioning. The uh, supplier said, we cannot get this to you by December 31st. And they gave an extension that worked out. Other than that, they've been strict until COVID came. Now they've gone to the almost the other extreme of uh, allowing extensions. I, I won't say extreme, but they're much more forgiving about extensions now, especially because of the supply chain issues and, and COVID and not necessarily having access to buildings. The DOB is now a little bit better about extensions. So if you think that you run out of time, if you started too late and you don't think you'll be done by with a proper one by December 31st, you can request an extension and, you know, no guarantee you'll get it, but at least that will you'll avoid a fine. Uh, I see there's a hand up. Uh, Joyce, I have a question for us. Good afternoon, Mark and everyone. Um, I have a couple of questions, one on each uh, two buildings. Can you get an extension on a property that the block ends in zero? Can you now get an extension? In other words, an extension for December 31st, 2022? Mm-hmm. I guess in theory, yes, but I doubt they would give it to you because they would be saying, hey, it's March, it's mid-March, you have nine and a half months to do it, so what do you need an extension? You'd have to have a pretty good reason. COVID. (laughs) Well, 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 Joyce said said zero, right? Right, Joyce? You said zero? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So so hers was due due by December 31st, 2020, right? Right. And now we're in 2022. Presumably the property has been fined once for 2020. And a second time for 2021. Now the question is getting out of another fine for 2022. I'm not even certain because I've not seen any notices from the buildings department. So you haven't seen a fine, Joyce, right, is what you're saying. Exactly. It's possible maybe your building is exempt from Local 87 for a particular reason. Uh-huh. If you want, set, you know, send me an email. Let, we'll, let's talk and send me an email. Okay. I'll look up for you the status of that particular property. All right, I will do that. Uh, Here's my second question. I have a building that is all electric, yet they want us to comply. 
being all electric doesn't exempt you from local 87. That just let you know, you know, the whole idea of local 87 is to be energy efficient or at least find areas where you can improve the efficiency and ensure that equipment is used properly. So whether you use no gas, no oil at all, there can be areas where you're inefficient. And that's really what the law is for. So not using gas, not using oil doesn't exempt you from local 87. Thank you, Mark. I'll be in touch. Mark, is there anything else you think that you need to talk about with regard to auditing? Or should we get into the retro commissioning part? Well, let me talk about the auditing because I, I really, I've, I've barely started. I've, you barely started? Think about it. All I've been talking about is administrative when it's due and all that. Right. So again, Local 87 is, is composed of two parts, the energy audit and the retro commissioning. So the energy audit means that a professional energy audit, which is defined as a level two audit, we don't have to go into details, but what that exactly is, has to be conducted again once every 10 years as local 87 starts. So basically it's a review of the systems that are that are in the building, uh, the boiler and the HVAC uh, rooftop units, for instance, if it's a um, you know commercial building, lights, motors, elevator motors, for example, so that's really what the audit does. I come in, I look at the energy bills. And by the way, part of a requirement of Local 87 is you have to report the energy usage, and that's oil, gas, and electricity for two years, uh, two recent years, uh, you know, before the deadline. Uh, and then looking at the various systems and assigning that, gee, uh, okay, not really gee, but based on calculations, 20% of electricity is from elevator motors and 30% from lighting and, and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, gas usage, 80% from the boiler, 20% for domestic hot water. So something like that with, of course, re reasoning behind it, that it's uh, a relatively good estimate. And from there, it leads to something. Uh, so after you've done these calculations to look at the breakdown of energy usage for the different functions, the estimate of the energy usage, then you go into what are called ECMs, energy conservation measures. So generally, I come up with half a dozen, sometimes more ECMs, energy ways that you could save money, changes you can make that are feasible, that will work in your building, that are site specific, and will save you money. They often involve an investment. You have to buy, let's say, uh, install better lights, LED lights, replacing the lights you have, or better motor or better boiler or burners or better insulation, windows, whatever it is but it's going to lead to savings. And then the, this includes calculations of what you're probably going to have to pay, but what the savings are and what the payback will be. So you may have to spend, I'll just make up a number, $20,000, but you're going to save 10000 a year. The payback is two years, and then the rest is gravy after that. So I come up with a bunch of items like that, half a dozen ECMs, energy conservation measures, and those are totally voluntary. You can take the report and put it, I like to say, or don't like to say, take the report and put it in the garbage, or I like to say the recycle bin instead. You don't have to do anything, but they're great opportunities. And that's actually a, a, a theme I feel very strongly about Local 87. It's a regulation. I No one likes regulations. No one wants to comply and do work for regulations. But this is a unique one because there's actually benefits from it. And I always I make a point after I submit my reports to the DOB for Local 87 for a client, generally I call them up or I call up the representative a few weeks later and say, hey, did you read the report? And unfortunately, most people don't even read the report, but the report is chock full of information to save money, for equipment to last longer, to be used 
more effectively, more efficiently, so it'll last longer. So it'll be more reliable in terms of comfort for tenants, things like that. And again, the bottom line, bottom line, save money, reduce your con ed bills. And so to me, this is a great opportunity for building owners, property managers to save costs by actually reading the report and implementing, at least don't have to implement every single ECM, but at least the ones that make sense. So what you're saying, Mark, is that they comply with local law 87, which involves this report, and that's it. They're not actually taking advantage of what they paid for. And you're saying that these ECMs, you define those in the report, and that it it actually shows this is what it's going to cost to do this. I mean, obviously, it's an estimate, right? But but it's based on information that I'm sure you've a data, actually, that you've compiled over years. Correct. So they look at that and they say, well, it's going to cost me, in your example, 20000 but I'm going to save 10000 a year. They have that information. Probably one of the biggest takeaways from everything we've discussed so far is read the report. Exactly. I'll share with you one uh, client I had. It was a, a warehouse. It turns out they were using inefficient lights in their warehouse, and they were on 24-7. And they acknowledged there was a portion of their warehouse that maybe one person walks into once a week for 10 minutes, but those lights are on 24-7. So we calculated what it would take to replace them with efficient, more LEDs, much more efficient lights, much less wattage, same amount of light, even more light, but less wattage, and with controls to turn, you know, sensors to turn them off when nobody was there. So they would be off in this one section for 23 and a half hours per day or whatever. And it was a something like a three-month payback. But they'd have to pay for the lights and these controls and the savings, the number of many, many hours they would be off ended up being a three-month payback. So I called them up. I said, did you read the report? No. I said, you ought to read the report. There's some opportunities here. And they ended up, they did look at it and they pointed to that one and said, we're going to do it. And it turns out the numbers were pretty much correct. The, the payback ended up being about three months. I checked with them later. They went out, you know, had it installed by their own electricians. And the payback was about three months. Wow, that's great. Now, are the paybacks on these ECMs mostly around electricity, or are there some significant ones with gas and oil? It's both. I, I would say mostly electricity, uh, but definitely when it comes to insulation or windows or boilers, it would be gas and oil as well. Uh, I have a question. This is sure, Margaret. Um, so acting upon these ECMs now in these years, does that help ward off the fines that are coming up in 2030? We're talking about yes. those parameters. Margaret's referring to the local law 97 fines that are coming up in uh, 2024, 2030. And I'd love to have a separate webinar and help you know everybody with local law 97, because those are going to be big, big, much bigger fines. But the answer is yes. They're all going to lead to reduction in kilowatt hours of electricity or therms of gas or whatever. And that means lower greenhouse gas emissions and closer to compliance or compliance with local law 97. And uh, Margaret, thank you for bringing up that uh, question because I was kind of wondering that myself. Certainly, people can ask questions about Local Law 97, but you and I did speak about that with Margie previously. It's a very thick topic, probably something that deserves its own time. Quick little break here, Realty Speak fans, to take a moment to share with you that I love that you choose to listen and learn from Realty Speak. And now, with that in mind, I have added a resource page to the RealtySpeak.com website. Designed with you in mind, it's organized with labeled sections that you can click on to reveal a list of professionals, organizations, and companies in that category that you may rely on to help you, the investment property owner. It is a work in progress. 
but there are already many resources there that you can benefit from. And the first thing you'll want to do is go to the first category, Property Owner Advocate Organizations. There you will find links to RSA, SHIP, and SPONY, and instructions on how to receive their incredibly informative periodic emails that will keep you in the loop with everything you need to know as an investment property operator. Check it out at realtyspeak.myc. It is resources on the menu, and I added a link in the show notes of this episode as well. My mission, be the best real estate advisor, consultant, and broker I can be while helping you sell, purchase, and finance investment real estate. I'm just a phone call away, 917-232-8529. What else can I say? Solutions in real estate, it's in my DNA. And now back to the show. So I talked about uh, auditing now. So that's the energy audit process. I, again, I collect the information of what the actual use is. I typically would walk through, collect information about what you're actually using, boilers, air conditioning units, et cetera, et cetera, lights, motors, come up with this breakdown of your actual energy usage. How is it broken down? And then from there, where can we improve the efficiency? But totally voluntary. You, you can't ignore it. But it's a really great opportunity to save money. So that's one part. And now the second part of Local 87 is the retro commissioning. Retro commissioning means you've invested all this money in your boiler, air conditioning units, et cetera, et cetera, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Are you operating them properly? Are you getting your money's worth with the equipment, uh, this equipment that you have? So this is an opportunity. Uh, basically, the way Local 87 is written, the city of New York has 25 different standards on how uh, equipment should be utilized, how they should be operated. Uh, and all 25, I don't, I've never found a building that had all 25 apply to them or even a, a large fraction of them. Mostly it's maybe half of them apply to a, a typical building. And there are things like, for instance, if you have a, a rooftop air conditioning unit for a commercial building, is the filter clogged or not? Obviously a filter should not be clogged. It should be replaced on a regular basis. If it's clogged, it's not going to work so very effectively. Are lights broken or lights uh, missing? they're missing and broken, that's not a good thing. Or pipes insulated. If they're not insulated, you're losing heat. You're losing steam that you're investing money, you know, in natural gas and oil to make is being lost by not being insulated. So they have to be insulated. So these 25 things need to be assessed during the local 87 compliance period. And if something does not meet a standard that's in local 87 for, the, for any of the 25, you know, the city calls it a deficiency. So is this part of the audit? No, this is now the retro commissioning I'm talking about. So this is the second part of Local 87. Right. So you've done the audit and you've filed it with the DOB. And now you, there's this retro commissioning, which is this checklist, you say, of 25 things. Correct. 25 ways of operating. And you have to, you have to submit that to the DOB independent of this audit. No, actually, usually the two are submitted together. In fact, not usually, always. The two are submitted together. It's one big report. All right. No, that's, a good, that's a great question. And, and it's submitted as one report. So, uh, and the two are somewhat related to each other, but they're also some, a little bit different. So in the retro commissioning, as you said, Bill, very well, it's a checklist of 25 items. Not all will be applicable to any given building, but the ones that are applicable, you go through and you say, does it meet the standard the city has or not? Now, if, if it's not applicable, do you, is there like an NA checkbox or something? Yes, okay. Exactly. So, so yes. in the, in the case of uh, what Joyce said, right, the, uh, the all electric mm -hmm. building, right? right? If there's a, if one, if several of these items deal with oil and gas, you're just going to check off NA. Correct. All right. That's exactly what, 
you know, would, uh, would be applicable with Joyce's building. Absolutely correct. Yeah. So the ones that are applicable, you go through, you evaluate, and if you find that that it's not if it's a deficiency that it doesn't meet the standard, it's not a problem. It's okay. There's no fine for that. Anything, but you have to report it, and then you have to what the city calls address it by the deadline of December 31st. This is the most time-consuming part of Local 87. You have a December 31st, 2022 deadline. This December 31st, start now. Don't start in September. Don't start in October because if I find deficiencies or anyone finds deficiencies, it could take months to repair it, to address it. Oh, so what you're saying is I do Local Law 87. I have my audit and my retro commissioning, and I'm going to submit it to the DOB as one report, right? Correct. But if my building – and what percentage of buildings are you finding that have deficiencies? I uh, – well, I would say it's pretty much 100%. Oh, okay. So chances are you're going to have a deficiency. Yes. And if your block number ends with two and it's due in 2022 and you do it on October 29th, you're not going to have time to fix the deficiency. So even though you're compliant in terms of Local Law 87 with the audit, you're not compliant with correcting the retro commissioning deficiency. What happens then? Do you get a fine? It's possible that I, that you'll find deficiencies that can be corrected very quickly. It's possible, but it's also possible you'll find. So you either ask for an extension or technically it's, you're not in compliance. It, you have to report Yes, we found a deficiency. We're working on it, but we have not addressed it yet. And then hope that you don't get fined for that or whatever. Does that follow the same fine schedule that we discussed I think before? So. You know, I haven't come across anyone who's been fined for that. So oh, okay. That, All right. That for sure. But uh, yeah. Yeah, but, but that's an interesting. People- that's an interesting part of this, right? You, hey, I thought I was all done. No. Right. You know, I've had clients <laughs> who truly did their best to comply, and for whatever reason, it didn't work out. They uh, made adjustments, they hired plumbers, they did this or that, whatever, and then it still didn't work out. So part of local the retro commissioning is once they address the issue, I have to come back and verify. And it's happened a couple of times that I come back and verify. They didn't really achieve what they had to achieve. Give an example of something on that list of 25 things that's deficient, what it would be, and how somebody would correct it, and how it could still not be good after it was corrected. One building uh, had a problem with domestic hot water. The water was leaving the unit down in the basement at 130 degrees. That was great. But part of the retro commissioning is I have to go into 10% of the units and measure temperatures at the faucets. And there was a group of units just two stories above the domestic hot water unit where the temperature was 96 degrees or 98 degrees, a big drop from the 130. It's going up supposedly at 130 but it's only 98. It's losing a lot of heat. That means the system is not working well. They went and they hired a plumber or they did some other things and came back and and, I, and they said, oh yeah, we had the plumber work on it and, and I think it's okay. I went back and checked, went to the same units, 99 degrees, 94 degrees. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, so we submit, so I had to submit it by saying, well, they did their best. They hired a plumber, but they truly didn't, you know, I'm putting my PE stamp on it. I can't tell them that they addressed it. So I had I had to be honest and say they really did their best, but they haven't addressed it yet. Yeah. So the other um, units in the building, they were getting sufficient hot water? 
There were parts that were, and, and, other, and a lot of the units were not. And the yeah. parts that were getting sufficient hot water, were they further away from the source or closer? Yeah, in some cases, they were further away. Yes. Right, so there was something going on inside the walls. Po- very possibly, yeah. Right, right. Of course, if water is leaving the domestic hot water unit 130, we don't expect 130 at the, at the faucet. Two degrees, four degrees, six degrees loss is, is okay, but it shouldn't be a 35-degree drop. I guess if something like that happened, the example that you just gave us, and you were getting close to the end of the year, you would go to the DOB and say, look, I, I'm trying to correct it, and I, I haven't yet, and I'm still going to try and correct it. I need an extension. And so that would be a valid request for an extension. To us, it's a valid request. Right. I've been involved in a couple of situations uh, you know, with my company. And when, when people say to me, when they throw up their hands and they're like, you know what? I don't know what to do. I say, you know what? Call your city council member because they're the ones that make these laws and have a conversation with them. Have a professional conversation with them, but call your city council person and say, hey, you know what? I'm really, really trying to do the right thing here. You made a law. I am trying to comply, but I'm having a problem and I need your help. And what that does is it actually informs, especially now with a a huge overhaul, like 60% of the city council, it informs your city council member of some of the conundrums that property owners are dealing with where you just want to throw up your hands. And and I think that's very, very important. So, So I want to go back to the deficiencies again. I just want to reiterate, make sure it's clear that having a deficiency is not a problem. If you have uninsulated pipes or this big differential in temperature, it's not fine. You won't get a fine for that. It's just that you need to address it by the deadline. If again, the block number ends in two, it would be this year, December 31st of 2022. So that's all you have to do. And then the other thing I want to emphasize with retro commissioning is if you notice, I use the word address. We want you to address the issue. So for instance, I had a client a few years ago, local 87 client a few years ago that one of the 25 criteria is any door that goes to the outside, which where the inside has conditioned air is heated, a lobby that's heated or a lobby that's air conditioned has to have weather stripping if there's a door that goes to the outside. And, th- and this particular apartment building had a revolving door that didn't have weather stripping. So I put that down as a deficiency and I talked to the uh, management about it and they said, we really don't want to put in weather stripping because we have a lot of seniors living in this building and they have enough trouble carrying groceries and going through the revolving door and then to add weather stripping which will add to the resistance will be even harder for them and i said that makes a lot of sense to me that makes a lot of sense they address and, and in fact in local 87 uh things like that can be used to say no i'm not going to make that change because of these other reasons and so we put that in saying we didn't we're not putting in weather stripping and this is the reason and they never got back to us. So I don't know if they never read it or or it was okay with them. But we never, you know, uh, heard back from them on that. So you don't even have to do the actual correction if there's a very valid reason. The wording of the rule is address a retro commissioning issue. Correction is the best thing. But, but if there's a underlying reason why a correction is difficult, at least try to do that. Hopefully DOB agrees. So that's really the retro commissioning part. Again, you go through the checklist, you eliminate the ones that are NA that are not applicable, focus on the ones that are applicable, go through, verify your, the filters are good, the lights are not broken, the temperatures of the hot water is fine, all these other things that are in there. And then if there are deficiencies, you tell management, you don't have to tell the DOB, 
but you initially tell management, here are the following things that we find there's deficiencies, please address them. Then they have to call you and tell you, or me as, as the one who does the local ladies have it. Yes, we've addressed it, come on out and verify. And then I come out and verify. And uh, hopefully they did do the proper job. And then I could fill out the reports for retro commissioning in local 87 in that report saying, yes, the following were deficient, but they did address them. And here's how they address them. So now you've heard the two parts, the energy auditing and the retro commission. Well, the, the one thing I'd, I'd like to come back to, which is the engineer or the architect uh, building on another organization or, or person's report that's no longer qualified according to the city to prepare those reports and, and you're basically taking on their work. It's kind of a using them as a subcontractor, but you're not even using them. So I understand where if it's a report or a project that they worked, that they prepared and, and you're going to bless it, Mark, and use it. But that's, say, one cycle and, and you, you scrub it down well and you make sure that it fits all, or your criteria. But is there anything where some of the benchmarking reports, which is the direct relation defines for 97 some of the benchmarking reports if you're going to um use you know the, the data um and it goes back you know 10 years so to what extent you know will you make recommendations and and take on the project knowing that their things have been progressing with 10 years worth of data from someone else right you know for that reason i tend to focus on more recent data if at all possible because things change tenants change things like that so yeah i could look at 2011 2012 data but i don't know how relevant that's going to be to 2024. again tenants change systems change systems get older new systems come in all that so i try to focus on the more recent reports benchmarking reports of the last two or three years so I was trying to get a sense of a correlation there, but that, that's good to know. Right, exactly, because building is a living, breathing organism, and, and it changes, so the current reports. That was my point. I, I just want to reiterate two things. One is that to address Local 87, you got to do it right and, and use a whoever, whoever you hire, whatever firm you hire, whatever, make sure it's the right firm, experienced firm, and now, of course, with a PE or an RA on the team, and just make sure they do a really good job. Uh, there's just too much writing on this. And then the other thing is, again, as I mentioned before, read the report. There are benefits to this. Yes, it's a pain. Nobody wants to comply. Nobody wants to pay me or an engineer or, or firm money to comply. But once you do, that report is chock full of information that could really help you save significantly. And by the way, the, the whole idea of saving money on energy costs and reducing energy usage is that you don't just save one year. You make a change, you put in more efficient lights, it's going to save you year after year after year after year because of the one change you made or upgrade your boiler or put in insulation. It's not like it's a one-time thing and that's it. Like sales, you improve sales, but the next year you got to do it again. But with energy upgrades, you're saving year after year after year. And these reports have all the information you need to go forward and, and, and do good work. That's exactly right. And almost immediately take the report and use it to start getting bids, not hard bids because the report is not a spec, but Correct. to get estimates from contractors and professionals who would be doing this work and get a pre-bid estimate, just a, a general, so you can start budgeting and only with that first step of, of getting it 
into the hands of those who would actually do the work is what is going to back into, and if you could just stay on, on that a bit, what's going to back into doing it backs into the benchmarking report, and the benchmarking report defines the local law 97 fines. So you just can't get away from those fines. The annual savings is huge, but the annual negative will be even, you know, equally is huge on the other side of the uh the ruler. So if you could just stay with a little bit how the benchmarking goes directly into the 97 fines, but nothing's going to happen with the benchmarking unless action happens on the reports that came from the engineer or the architect. You know what? I'm a little confused about that. Mark, could you just elaborate on that a little bit? So in other words, you, you've complied with local law 87. How does that relate to the term benchmarking? Well, benchmarking is when is local ed, starts with local eighty four, where you upload uh, the relevant energy data uh, to federal database, and you're required to do that every year. And now there's information in the city, and everybody has access. It gets published, and then from that you get a grade, a letter grade. And over the last year or two, a couple of years, but also this is related to your total energy usage, which is important for local law ninety seven which again goes into effect in 2024, the amount of energy you use is translated into greenhouse gas emissions, and they have to meet a certain standard starting in the year 2024. And again, this is sort of different from what we've been talking about with 87. With 97, it's really good to know where you stand on 97. Are you facing potential fines? Or maybe you're, everything's okay and you're in compliance. The earlier you know, the earlier you can do things to avoid the fine. Did I answer the question? It answers mine. That answer your question, Margie? It's a question I want to put in the head of the attendees because 84 benchmarking dictates the 97 fines. And the only way you're going to change your benchmarking report so you reduce those fines is by doing the actual projects that are prescribed by the reports in 87. So that's how they all correlate then. Now I get it. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to add one thing to it. Unfortunately, I'm going to make it a little more complicated, Margie, but you, you summarize it really well. There are two ways to comply with Local 97 or reduce the fines or whatever. One is to be more efficient, to use less energy. And the other way is to use cleaner energy. So if you use oil and you switch to gas, that alone will reduce your fine, even if it's the same amount of energy. But if you use natural gas because it is cleaner, it emits less greenhouse gases, you'll have done well to reduce your fines compared to sticking with oil. And what if? What about if you use 100% electric? Uh, we are lucky because um, there is a national database of greenhouse gas emissions from electric sources. And New York City happens to be one of the cleanest sources, uh, areas in the country in terms of the amount of greenhouse gases we use. If we were in Kentucky or Ohio or West Virginia or something like that where they use a lot of coal, the same electricity would be a lot more greenhouse gases. Luckily, we have, I think it's now zero coal that makes electricity in New York City. And, uh, and in fact, we, we get a lot from hydro. We get some from solar. We have no greenhouse gas emissions. And so the overall amount is actually relatively low. So going to electricity is good. One last question, Mark. Are there incentives like rebates with the different utilities for some of these changes that are that a uh, building owner would make? Thank you for that. That's a great question. There, there are definitely uh, 
rebates, uh, Con Edison and NYSERDA, the New York State uh, Energy Research and Development Agency, both have uh, a number of incentives for lights, upgrading lights, upgrading boilers, installing heat pumps. Tremendous, by the way, incentives for heat pumps. They'll pay 50, 60, 70 percent for that. LED lights. The incentives for LED lighting upgrades is going down and may well be eliminated in 2023. So if there's an opportunity, do it now, do it this year, because because it's so beneficial. There's one other uh, way uh, to save a little money, and that is NYSERDA has a program called FlexTech, F-L-E-X-T-E-C-H, FlexTech, under NYSERDA. Well, they'll pay 50% of the cost of an audit of the local 87 work. Uh, for qualified buildings. Not every building qualifies. So that's something you might want to look into as well with a firm that's getting a FlexTech grant. And when you do the report, Mark, in the list of ECMs, and what does that stand for again? Energy Conservation Measures. Right. Do you include the incentives? I do it, but you know sometimes the incentives are very tricky and you may not qualify for some reason in the fine print. So often I don't include it because I don't want to mislead them. I'd rather give them a, a slightly worst case scenario of if they had to pay out fully. Now I see uh, iPhone has their hand up. Hi, my, my name is Al Nicholas. I'm a PE, I'm a property manager. I wanna thank you, Mark. I wanna thank Bill, Anja, Marvin, and of course, Margie for such a wonderful presentation. And the question to Mark is, does any uh, um, energy budget you would try to aim at when you do all this audit and retro commissioning? There's any special number that you aim at? I, yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Thanks for, I, I meant to bring that up. What I usually try to do is I look at the return on investment. I look at the payback. And generally, if the pay, well, first of all, if the payback is longer than the useful life of the equipment, I won't include it. I've seen local 87 reports, which will say the payback is 20 years the equipment's only going to last for 10 years. So to me, that's silly. And, but, and I won't include it, but I've seen it in reports. And then the other thing is I also look at the practical. If there's something with a payback of 15 years, I'm pretty sure most building owners will not want, want to do it, will not want to make that investment. So I, I sort of draw a line at like 12 or 15 years. That anything above that, I just won't even include because I, I just know it's just a waste of ink or whatever, waste of uh you know, information there. But if it's, say, under 12, under 13 years, I'll include it. And obviously, again, the uh, building owner manager is free to implement any of the ECMs. If something is a really tiny savings, I won't include it. I, I don't really draw a formal line, but, but from a practical point of view, uh, something that's just going to save, I don't know, a few hundred kilowatt hours a year, I won't include it. I have one, I have one more question. Mar uh, Mark, the accelerator program, is that tied in with FlexTech, or is that yet separate New York agency? It's a, it's a separate thing. New York, it's, it's a New York City program. FlexTech is a New York State program. New York City Accelerator is a city program. And what it is, uh, in fact, I'm actually a contractor in both. Uh, I was going to ask you yeah. if you were. Yeah. I'm actually, technically, I'm not a contractor for NYSERDA, but I'm allowed to do FlexTech projects. But I am a contractor for New York City Accelerator. And basically what they do is they handhold you. If you think you have, you have a problem, they will sort of talk it out with you. Their experts will talk to you and then they'll recommend vendors. So for instance, they'll ask you questions about your, your building. And let's say you happen to say, oh, gee, we have single pane windows. Then they'll match you up with window vendors and say, hey, you ought to change the double pane windows. 
And uh, we won't tell you how much you'll save, but but you can save substantially. Here are three vetted window vendors you may want to speak to. Or you've never done an audit. Here are three uh, auditors. Mark Carell's one of them, whatever. Uh, and do a formal audit and, and have it done. Yeah, you're going to have to pay them, but but we know these three vendors and they're all good or whatever, that type of thing. So that's the kind of thing they, they're sort of into hand-holding, but they get it deep into the hand-holding, I have to say. They're very good. They're very sharp. And they'll identify certain things and encourage you to, to upgrade. And, and they'll highlight where there are incentives, where there could be rebates. Correct. Right? Correct. Okay. Thank you. And by the way, Al, did okay. I answer your question? Because I see your hand is still up. I would actually like to add to the budget question that he asked, which is budgets should also include liabilities. And since it's a, a budget, you know, you can work with that. But one of the liabilities will be local law 97 fines. And so, yes, the one side of the budget is the positive side, what you can easily pay because of the cost saving. Once you back that into your report to see where your fine is going to end up, it may not still address what you need to address for 97. So while it, it will address for paying for itself over so many years, you still need to know what your liability is. And somehow that has to go into the budget on the negative side. And so it can be planned on how you will spend beyond those items that may not have a payback, but still be needed to reduce that carbon footprint. That's, that's a fantastic point, Margie. You're absolutely right. What I do very often is I won't include local law 97 liabilities, avoided fines that are not, you know, that are not reduced in the local 87 report because it's just a separate thing. It's a separate law. So I don't want to over complicate things and include that, but I will inform the client that, by the way, while you're saving 30,000 kilowatt hours per year, it'll also reduce this amount of greenhouse gases and therefore reduce your fine by X amount. So I, I communicate that separately to the clients, not part of the actual report that's submitted to the DOB, because it, to me, it just overcomplicates things. And uh, I don't think right, but they, st they still need to know what that number is because the sure. CPA uh, that does the, the certified audit they need to address what is a known liability. Correct. With that, uh, this was excellent, everyone. Fabulous. Again, thank you, Margie and Marvin and Anya and the studio audience uh, for having us. This has been absolutely fabulous, and I'm really, really happy to have been invited to do this. Thank you. Thank you, Mark Corral, professional thank engineer. You. you did a lot of heavy lifting today. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Right, thank okay. you. Thanks, yeah. Margie. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody. You're welcome. Have a good day. Okay. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you all. Yes, appreciate it. Well, there you have it. Everyone, thank you for listening. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of Realty Speak, the podcast. Please subscribe. You can do so on the website. Just go to the podcast page on the website, and there's an opt-in toward the top of the page on the right. Or easily subscribe and listen to Realty Speak on your favorite podcast app like Podcast Republic, my favorite Android devices, or Apple Podcasts for an iPhone. Go to the app, search Realty Speak, find it, open it, hit subscribe, and you're in. Spotify? Yep, Realty Speak is there as well. And please, Help Realty Speak grow by sharing the show with others. From the website player, just click share and choose your preferred social media platform and spread the word. Or to share from your podcast app, hit the share icon, choose your preferred method and send. And of course, if you'd like to chat, 
about purchasing, selling, or financing investment real estate, access past episodes, or just talk, you can contact me directly via the website at BillWidener.com. That's B-I-L-L-W-E-I-D-N-E-R.com. And remember, it's not about us, but how we help you make the bottom line rise. Until next time. Thank <laughs> you.